Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. Dane had asked me if he could plant a vegetable garden in the yard. And I thought this would be great. We'd have nice organic vegetables and it would be healthy. And then I started reading the book Midnight in Chernobyl or Midnight at Chernobyl. I think it's Midnight in Chernobyl. They were describing how long it took for these engineers and all of these Soviet nuclear professionals to share with the public what had actually happened. I mean, it was crazy, the decision making. I mean, it's they're looking into this chamber and it's the reactor is gone. And they're like, oh, we've got to get the reactor so that it can be up and reattached to the grid. And all of the fallout is flying into the sky and landing all over the city, the nearby city in Pripyat. And it described these people gardening and they were planting and gardening as it's raining down nuclear waste. <laughs> oh and I God. thought to myself, they are thinking, wow, we're doing this healthy, growing vegetables. I mean, I'm sure that there was a necessity component, too. And then I started thinking, we live right adjacent to an industrial district. So why in the hell would I think that we would have healthier vegetables if Dane planted a vegetable garden that was just there as industrial pollution that they don't share with us and you don't smell it or feel it is raining down on this vegetable garden that not versus getting like one of those packages where you have it ordered from, you know, I don't know, the countryside or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that leads to the curiosity bike. What causes the most harm in the world but is completely avoidable. What causes the most harm in the world that is completely avoidable? Off the top of my head, it would be nice if we could provide services to our human race. Food, water, shelter, medical provisions, things like that to everyone. If we were all willing in a in a dreamlike world to give up some of the things that we have so that everybody could have something that would be, I mean, that is avoidable. But what, I don't understand what causes the most harm in the world. Us not being willing to give up our creature comforts, whatever they may be for the good of every thing on this planet. Initially thinking human beings, but then I think about human beings would be affected if we didn't take care of our plants and our animals as well. So it's a bigger issue, I guess, than what initially came off of the top of my head. But if we were, it, it is avoidable for us to ruin our planet and ruin living species. <laughs> I could take a picture of your face right now. It's like, it's hard. It's but hard. I'm asking, what 
So it, what's the cause? What causes the most greed, our, our greed. greed and our unwillingness to think of the greater good of our planet but because how do we, we want what we want when we want it. But how do we prevent what we can't predict? <laughs> and hence the podcast. <laughs> and hence the conundrum. How yes. do we I mean we know that we are not very successful at predicting. Right. I think about when I was first embarking on motherhood and I wanted to do everything exactly right to prevent, you know, SIDS and prevent any, all of the things that you worry about so that a bad terrified. Mother, terrified. And I got these special you're not you're supposed to place the baby on its side so it doesn't get SIDS. But now it, you're aging yourself. Yes, exactly. But I mean, <laughs> the, so uh, uh, there were different kinds of little booster things that you could keep that I mean the baby they had those little pyramid ones yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they're two little like pyramids, pyramids yeah. and you slip the baby in, in between the, yeah. <laughs> but you don't want it too close to their neck because that is what you used to do in like the 80s but in the 90s you kind of put it near their torso so that they can't roll over and then in the 2000s you were supposed to put them on their back so how do you prevent what you can't predict we could not predict that the real moment in time when accurate healthy parenting would be 2020 when the law in Washington, the state of Washington is trying to make it so that you have to be in a car seat until you're over five feet tall. So you go what? right from the car seat to your driver's <laughs> license. No. Wait a minute. January 2020. Yeah. Washington, no the state of Washington. Way. Yes. Because now they predict that if you're four foot nine or under, you need to be in like, a. I don't even, I'm, I'm sure it's a front seat, front facing, you know, <laughs> front facing, maybe not the way you have to just I mean, what if I have friends that are under five feet tall? Are booster. they not allowed? Booster <laughs> They can't seat. drive. No, booster seat. They have to be in a booster seat. Oh my seat. God, that's ridiculous. But you can't, think about, think about football helmets, for example. Back when there were soft football helmets, people didn't bash into each other head first. And so there were fewer neck injuries. One could argue that some of the were safety there? precautions. I think that there are some corollaries between, I mean, maybe we hadn't invented brain injuries by then. We just thought, okay, people <laughs> people died and we didn't yeah. live this long. So we didn't live to see the dementia and the Parkinson's and the kind of traumatic brain injury repercussions. But again, since we can't predict it's very difficult to know what pre what we're preventing. If we think about back in the day, I think it was like the mid 1800s when that doctor in Vienna, Semmelweis, Semmelweis noticed Semmelweis. Semmelweis. He was a Hungarian doctor. I think working oh. in Vienna. And he noticed that doctors often came right from their cadaver autopsies to deliver babies. And this was observational research from PU. <laughs> did, did they wash their hands? No, because here's there was that wasn't a thing. I mean, that really wasn't a thing. And so the midwives who were not as prestigious as the doctors <laughs> tended to have a lower infant mortality rate than these doctors. And he looked and made this observation that there was a corollary between the guys coming from the autopsy cadavers to deliver babies. And he made the recommendation that these doctors should wash their hands. Wash your hands! Wash your hands. And they, there was a huge backlash. How dare you oh, insinuate? Yeah. You think about things like anti-vaxxers and- That's part of my list. Oh, I won't do don't, anything with it. I won't do anything anyone. with a list. 
But you might think, well, it's only a matter of time before the anti-vaxxers are proven right. Well, not really necessarily. It's hard to know what is the most harmful because what's the most harmful today may be unintended consequences. When I think of what causes the most harm in the world that's completely avoidable, I think war. Yeah. You know, that's just the first thing that comes to mind. Now, a lot of people think that war is unavoidable, that it is baked into human nature. I would, I'm going to answer the curiosity bite. Okay. Humanism. <laughs> I think the belief yeah. in the superiority of humans is, is a double-edged sword. We need to think that way. Otherwise, we won't take care of our fellow humans. But by placing humans ahead of plants and other animals, this belief has a negative consequence, potentially unintended, of thinking that we need to do whatever possible to protect humans, but then we're neglecting things that will ultimately cause the downfall of humanity. Like you said, okay, let's say we provide shelter and food and water for every human being and at what expense? Right. At the expense of animals, at the expense of plants. Right. As the, you know, I mentioned that fantastic fungus movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, I still want to see that. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So in this whole Chernobyl thing, you know what's happening now what? in Chernobyl? Guess what is happening now? Take one guess. So this was in 1986, Chernobyl. So it's been a number of years. Flipper floppers. Flip, flip their flippers, people that flip those homes, fix them up to make them look nice and sell them for a premium. Okay, well, at the time, about 160, 116,000 people were evacuated, and it was about a 30 kilometer exclusion zone. It's become a lot, it became a larger exclusion zone. Now they are reselling houses <laughs> in that village. So if you Google most affordable housing in the U <laughs> in, 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 most affordable housing in Ukraine, it will come up. I'm going to pull up those comparables. And <laughs> you're going to get the best deal on that house. It says a Chernobyl. house in good condition. When I researched this, a house in good condition in the village will cost about $3,500. But those properties are rare. Most of the vacant homes, many made of wood, are being <sighs> sold by their former <laughs> occupants for less than a few hundred dollars. Such a deal! And one woman says she simply Googled cheapest place to live in <laughs> Ukraine and the Sold. result near to Chernobyl. Wow. Mm -hmm. You think to yourself, okay, well, this is going to be, this is your utopia. We can provide shelter for every human being okay, on the now. planet. Okay, <laughs> now. That's not nice. B-Y-O Geiger counter. <laughs> Pref preferably faulty. You know how you have to give a walk score on your house <laughs> and you have to do a home inspection? Here you have to give your Geiger counter score. Well, no, you get a you get a score, a walk score of you can go you can take a tour of Chernobyl <laughs> of the of the plant. Okay. That's a nice walk score. I Steven has a VR experience where you can go to Chernobyl. And no way. Yes, yes, yes. Now here's the situation. Bear in mind that someone had to go and photograph it <laughs> yeah. to provide this VR experience. I went, I did the Chernobyl. I'm kind of I'm kind of a little obsessed with the whole thing because Well, you're reading the book right now, so. Right, but I have but prior to reading the book, I had been researching and researching because there are so many fundamental decision-making errors mm -hmm. that seem ridiculous when you read about Chernobyl, but when you bring it into our workshops. I was going to say, maybe we should do a workshop out there for them on decision making. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. No, because we need your utopian opportunity for everyone to have shelter, water, and health care. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> God.
God. <laughs> you know, I try to answer these questions at the beginning of the podcast, and then I get reamed. <laughs> I learned through the podcast that I was wrong, but... No. It's too late at that point. <laughs> I can't edit out your early answers. <laughs> Damn. Did Have you ever read The Emperor of All Maladies? It's a biography of cancer. Have you read that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can see your face. It's looking very, very sheepish. I, I, I didn't know that it was a Ken Burns special, so I'm going to oh. watch that. But I read the book, and it is fascinating because I remember – do you remember your first friend who died of breast cancer? Do you have a, do you have a recollection of the first person that you remember who either got breast cancer or died of breast cancer? I had a friend. God, there's the, so many of them that I I don't remember the. Oh. How about AIDS? Do you remember your AIDS. first? Do you remember your first friend who died of AIDS? I was a little young, but yeah. Mm. I remember my first friend who actually died of AIDS. I knew a lot of people who had AIDS, but I do remember my very first friend, and I also remember being in college. And not really knowing what it meant to be have harmful versus safe sex. I mean, because it was oh it, yeah, it was my first friend, Terry Minetti was my first friend who died of breast cancer. She worked with us at, at uh, May Company. She was wonderful. But when you read the Emperor of All Maladies at the time in the eighties, we thought that that was the you know pinnacle of modern medicine <laughs> much like we think today is the pinnacle of modern medicine i don't think there's a single doctor graduating from medical school today that thinks that they are in the dark ages of medicine i mean i just don't think that would happen it's weird being my age and having a lot of friends who went to medical school in the 80s mm-hmm. reading this emperor of all the biography of cancer and realizing that so much of the research that was done particularly with regard to breast cancer, some of the cells, because you get these cells and then you share those cells, stem cells or cells with other institutions. So you're buying kind of off the same the same family of cells and many of them weren't even breast cancer cells. So a lot of the treatment for forms of cancer at the time state of the art treatment is considered harmful, counterindicated mm-hmm. and you just think, wow, wait, that's the 80s. And then you stop and realize the 80s was like 30, 40 years I ago. I know. We could not predict back then. We can't prevent what we can't predict. And that's why when people talk even about basic health care, basic when and for whom and what is the tipping point that makes something that is cutting edge like a heart transplant, at what point does something like a heart transplant or an organ transplant that was seen as cutting edge at what point does that is that become does that become basic yeah. and is that a clear is that clearly defined and understood by everyone if you are living in a refugee camp on the chad lake basin your basic medical needs are completely different than what we would come to expect if you're living in a high rise on the upper east side in new york city you know, even your requirements are different. So that's why when you talk about could we all reduce our greed to make sure that everyone had basic shelter, basic water, basic health care, it really comes down to we don't really know what's basic because we can't predict what is going to be super harmful. Like yeah. we might think that washing our hands with antibacterial soap is really a way Sanitary. to avoid harm. Mm-hmm. 
but we may be causing more harm by we may think taking an antibiotic is reducing harm so that we're not exposing ourselves and other people to bacterial infection but we also might be creating superbugs this is so frustrating i feel like that's why there's damned, alcohol <laughs> <laughs> damned if you do and damned if you don't i feel like God, everything you do just screws up everything else. <laughs> it's so because depressing. because time is the thumb on the scale. We don't know. All right. So think about harm. We have, let, let, let's say, academic harm. I forgot about the exam or I didn't study for the exam or even self-handicapping. I don't want to study because if I study and don't do well, then that really reflects that I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> or you think about health. How long have we been telling people safe sex, use a condom? And yet you constantly hear of people who know better. And I could give an example of a conversation I just had this week who know better and still contract a sexually transmitted disease uh, infection because they did not wear a condom Yeah. Or, or legal. How many people still drive, not alcoholics, but people who still drive after drinking? Because we're operating with a faulty mechanism, our brains. Yeah. So, or financial. You know, I, I didn't put money away or I want something and I have a credit card. So I rack up credit card debt, even though, I mean, there's some people who don't know. I mean, you really, they haven't been educated, whatever. But behavior that causes harm that's totally avoidable, I mean, we all do it. We all, we all do it. So, Except me. Except for you. And you. Except for no, except for me and you, and I'm not so sure about you. <laughs> isn't that isn't that the same? Yeah, that's like we're perfect. Yes, everybody and else. But the good news is, and the thing that I love that is self-serving to mention for both of us is that there have been a lot. There's been a lot of research about intelligence and critical thinking, and intelligence may or may not be, I mean, you may, I don't know, you could, if as measured by an intelligence test, whatever, you could probably study and get a higher score on an intelligence test. Maybe that makes you more intelligent or less intelligent. It probably correlates with education somewhat. But critical thinking is totally learnable. And in every single measure of human flourishing, critical thinking is a better tool than just pure intelligence. Okay, that, if we don't learn how to make our critical thinking skills better, mm -hmm. that is a harm mm -hmm. and it is easily avoidable. Yes, by hiring us to come and do yes! a workshop. Applycuriositylab.com. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> it is. And I mean, I'm not joking. That actually would be something that would cause that does cause harm, like the Chernobyl thing. Oh, for sure. The that was crit critical thinking. They were not doing that. And that caused a lot of harm and it could have been avoided. You know what was so weird when you read about this is that the first thing a lot of people thought was that they were being attacked by the U.S. because, you know, nuclear war was on their minds. The other thing was that they had been using nuclear uh, energy and had nuclear plants to generate weaponry. But it, it was totally and there had been problems and mishaps, but nothing ever went that wrong that they couldn't handle. Right. So the chances they had calculated of what happened was essentially like one in, I'm going to make up a number, but like 100 million. Yeah, the probability. The, the, prob the statistical probability was close to zero in yeah, their minds. So it wouldn't happen. And then you've got, you know, the Soviet 
fear because there was one guy who was trying to tell his superior. I mean, there was a lot of cases of this in in the book, but there was a, one particular thing that stood out where the guy was trying to tell his boss, listen, dude, like it's not there. You're telling me to put water on something that doesn't exist. And what's going to happen is this water is going to turn into steam and become nuclear steam that's, that's going to go out into the atmosphere. And we'll make Great plants. And the guy, yes, exactly, for your garden. <laughs> exactly. And the, and the guy essentially said, great, you'll love Siberia. You know, do it. Or, or you and you your family will go to the gulag. And so, you know, you think, okay, well, the ch then you start thinking, well, it's never happened before. Maybe I'm wrong. This guy has the authority. This guy is saying something. Maybe my eyes are truly deceiving me. And it's never happened before. And how many times have you heard people say, I've done this and it's never been a problem before? A lot. And you always say, until it isn't. Exactly. Every single time you drive me crazy. <laughs> Every single time. Yeah, because something is avoidable, something that you can prevent from having happen. That's yeah. what avoidable is. Yeah. And it's hard to know what's avoidable because avoidable when. And I think that humanism this belief in humanism, you know, you either believe in a religion, so a god, or you don't. And even people who say, oh, I absolutely don't believe in a higher power. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in a higher power. Well, I would argue that you could be blindsided by the higher higher power is, you know, energy or the higher power is consciousness or the higher power is something that is not tangible. Maybe not a guy with a beard in the sky, but could be something that is completely inconceivable to our brains right now. Right. So I would say that, you know, remain remain skeptical of any kind of definitive this is this or this is this. And it may be our... Um, the, what causes most harm is our discomfort with uncertainty. Yeah. Beware of your always and, and your, your never Okay. I have some examples of things that people have done yes. that caused harm, and they were avoidable. All right. I'm going to read the example. Okay. And then you can tell me what they did and... What they could have done to avoid. Yes. Or what was, the, what, what, what was avoidable. Yes, what was avoidable. Okay. So David Petrius was uh, a member of the CIA, mm -hmm. and so keeping secrets was part of his job, but this one did not stay hidden. He was a retired four-star general in the U.S. military, and the FBI did an investigation and discovered that he was having an affair with his biographer, and the affair led to his eventual resignation and divorce and fallout and all sorts of bad badnesses. Was he revealing to his biographer secrets, or was he just like having... He was just having an affair, and because he was used to and assumed that things would be kept secret. Oh. They sick. shared a Gmail account. So oh. instead of emailing back and forth, they shared the account and left their messages on there so that she would like get on and read the message and then delete it and then put another message on there and he would get on and read it. But that's how they discovered it. So I think a lot of people think that out of sight, out of mind. So yeah. they think, okay, I put this up on Snapchat. I delete it. They can't see my dick pic. I send this email. I delete it. And part of it is we are not even aware of all the data that we're creating. 
And, you know, you start typing something into Google that you were thinking about, and all of a sudden it finishes your search, and you think, wait a minute, is my Alexa on? Whatever. Wait, but what happened today? We didn't even type it up, and it... It happens all the time. Yeah, that was really freaky. So I think that this guy probably lives in secrecy and thought that that applied also to him. Now... You're writing a biography. I mean, I'm assuming he cared. I mean, sometimes the other thing is sometimes people don't care. And I think he cared. He cared. But he made the assumption that because he was in the CIA and everything. His secrets would be as safe as as the state secrets. Yeah. Okay. And didn't think about, talk about poor decision making. She's a biographer. (laughs) (laughs) So if you think that your CIA fringe benefits of keeping things secret works, well, her fringe benefits are making sure that information gets out there. So how dumb are you? But didn't sh- didn't she say, whisper in my ear? <laughs> just between the two of just us. Just like Connie Chung. That's right. Whis- <laughs> whisper in my ear. No one's listening <laughs> on TV. <laughs> the next one was a lawyer and a dentist named Orly Tates. Do you remember the story? No. He's the one in 2009, he got busted for posting a fake Barack Obama birth certificate that he was born in Kenya. Kenya was not even a republic when Barack Obama was born. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't stop Donald Trump from believing it. Right. And people still believe it to this day. I mean, the problem with conspiracy theories are twofold. One, to the extent that they justify our pre-existing beliefs, confirmation bias, they're very hard to disprove. Two, we see conspiracy theories and confirmation bias as something that other people have that we don't. And three, there are times that ridiculous things like the hand washing, for example, mm-hmm. become, you know, we, we realize, okay, well, that's kind of true. And then we think, therefore, all these, if one conspiracy is proven true, then it must be that all these other conspiracies are true as well. Right. So if something in science gets revealed or exposed as having a political angle and not really being truly reliable science. We throw out the science and we think all science is political. It's BS. But science, for example, is really a method. And the idea is that, you know, if you think about science as a bus and the wheels are different hypotheses and theories, you don't throw out the bus, you change the tire. And the whole idea of science is to disprove. This one kind of goes along with the medical advancements and things like that. When Wilhelm Röntgen discovered the x-ray in 1895, the medical community just took it and ran. And his wife learned about that discovery. And uh, she never completed high school, didn't know anything about science or medical stuff. And she went around and sold this x-ray machine to anyone that would listen. And she would take pictures of her hand, radio photography, using it as a media tool, not as a medical tool. Oh, interesting. So she, oh, look at my bones. Yeah. And there's an actual picture, if you could only see it, a picture of her bones with her re- her wedding ring finger on it. Oh, and, lovely. Yeah. So, and, and she died of, of radi- uh, radiation, radiation sickness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think about, do you get gel on your fingers? Is your fingernail polish gel? Yeah. Okay. First of all, we went to this tattoo show and I was asking these tattoo artists. It was an amazing tattoo. What is in the material that you're injecting into your skin and other people's skin? Well, it's this, it's this, it's this. But what is the material? Nope. 
I don't know how many people go in to get tattoos and are really curious about what they're putting in their bodies. And I'm very critical of that kind of. It's never been a problem before. Exactly. Until. Yeah, but every, but do you know that until it was? I mean, and, and yet you really think about it. Every single person who has ever gotten a tattoo has died. <laughs> and then the other day I am sitting with my fingers getting my special holographic nails. Which that, are gorgeous. Which I love. And I'm putting my hands in the, the light box thing that mm-hmm. hardens the material. Mm-hmm. And I look over and I see that the woman next to me has gloves on with the fingers yeah. cut off. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, do I need to have? And I started realizing not only is she putting the powdered metallic stuff that's floating into the air into my nostrils, clearly the acetate, whatever that you get the fingernail polish off. Mm-hmm. Then I'm putting my fingers into this light. Mm-hmm. And here ultraviolet I, light. Here I am criticizing people for getting a tattoo without knowing what they're putting into their body. And you're doing the same damn thing. I'm doing the same damn thing. And you know what? You still did it. (laughs) I'm going to die. You are going to die. Everyone that gets nail gel, nail gel, nail gel, nail dies. Nail gel. In 1998, Dr. Andrew Wakefield, he was a well-regarded scientist, published an article in a prestigious university publication exactly claiming that there was a link between autism and the mmr the measles mumps rubella vaccine Mm -hmm. the trouble was he falsified the data in that paper and even to this day the anti-vaxxers still use this publication to well jenny mccarthy phd (laughs) (laughs) oh god The problem is if you have a child who seems normal to you and then you drive to the doctor's office and you sit in the doctor's office with your child and you go check in at the front desk and you fill out some paperwork and then you sit down on the couch in the doctor's office and maybe your kid plays with a block or maybe they're too young to play with a block and then they go in and get a vaccination and a year later, they are exhibiting very unfortunate signs of autism. And you read this article, then you don't realize that it was on the drive to the hospital. Mm-hmm. The Cheerios, if you feed your children Cheerios. <laughs> Which hospital, everybody does. It's kind of like mother's milk is the gateway drug to opioid addiction. It's true. Because every child who whoever. Has, whoever died of an opioid overdose had either formula or mother's milk. So milk is really technically a gateway drug. Yep. On the other hand, I do want to say this. It is not inconceivable that there are better, more healthful ways, maybe not as economical, maybe not as efficient, of giving the series of vaccinations to young children. So maybe giving live viruses or maybe uh, giving vaccinations that are stored in mercury or whatever over a longer period of time or over a different kind of dosing would be safer. But the problem is that when you have some conspiracy theorist on the other side who is just putting up dipshittery, it's very difficult on this end to not 
kind of get deeper entrenched. And I'm seeing this yeah. with Lyme disease. You know, you got these crazy people who are like, put yourself in a hyperbaric chamber and set yourself over the Niagara Falls waterfall and you will get rid of your Lyme disease. And, you know, maybe there's a grain of truth to that. But then you have these other the other end of the spectrum that sees these crazies and it's like, you're just one of those crazies yeah. and it doesn't even discounts. exist. It just it discounts. discounts it so, right it, away. you know, there's, there's kind of like two unintended consequences with conspiracy theories. And like you said, predictability. We, we, we are not good at predicting things. So it's possible that we can find out later that vaccines do cause some type of brain damage, but we don't know for sure right now. And he falsified it. So that's the truth. Yeah. All we know right now is what we see that as long as we've had vaccinations, we have eradicated diseases. We don't know if there are ramifications in 100 years from now where that means that the diseases come back bigger and better than ever. Right. We just don't know. But right. at this point, we've got to operate on what we do know, which is the reality of what we can find out. We can't really predict and be open to looking for better ways, always looking for better ways. I think a lot of these problems or harms that these people created were all based on selfish, self-serving acts. Yeah. Like this one. Robert McCormick was the CEO of an internet technology company. It was called Savvis. But it didn't prevent him from making a colossal blunder in his judgment and decision making. McCormick went on an exclusive gentleman's club appropriately named scores, and managed to bring up $241,000 on the company card. <laughs> and he didn't own the company. No, he was just the CEO. Oh, my. And he, did, he, got, he bought $10,000 lap dances. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All on the company card. And it, I mean, how do you how do you charge a lap dance on the company card? You just put your cleavage together and then <laughs> zip the card through. It's like, or maybe you... somewhere else. Oh yeah, because because it, because it could be one of those crystal. What are those little things? It could be one of those. <laughs> you have to stick it in there. You know? Oh my god! <laughs> but you know, you think that is for dumb people, and then you see someone like Bill Clinton. You know, th what was he thinking? Yeah. You know, and, and people, I do believe when you get so much power when you have people telling you you are great you are great you are great it's very difficult to not buy your own publicity and you are you think you're, you're above you're indestructible. the law you, you that's know. so funny he's on my list oh really go <laughs> yeah. oh i didn't mean to no no he uh, it's exactly i mean this is what you would have said after i said it but basically Here's this great president who had the Clinton Foundation. He fought against childhood obesity, climate change, global health. And then in 1999, he faced impeachment because he had the affair with Monica Lewinsky and lied about it under oath. He thought that he was, ab I mean, it's exactly what you were just saying. He believed the hype. And I think a lot of people, and I've talked to Sonny about this a lot, especially when we were in the music industry, you get surrounded by these yes-men mm -hmm. and you lose sight of reality. Mm -hmm. I think with my band that I was on, KMFDM, we were surrounded by people who loved us and adored us. And I honestly think, and I think even now, they believe that they are the biggest thing ever. And Sonny was with Pearl Jam. Same thing. They still think that they are the biggest band ever. And if you talk to anybody that's like Ginger Moses age, they don't even know who Pearl Jam is. KM, uh, nobody knows what KMFDM, who KMFDM is, but 
if you wouldn't know that if you were traveling with them. We are all the stars of our, our own, own movie. Show. I think of Theranos. That was that company that was that technology company where they were saying that you could take a blood test and diagnose all kinds of diseases. It was started by uh, 19, then 19 year old Elizabeth Holmes. Did you remember they, they had it on 60 Minutes? She has a. She, remember, she made her voice really low. <laughs> Did, you got to look this. You, got, you can't believe this. I have no idea who you're talking and about. And she had the top venture capitalists. I can't remember. She. I think she raised more than $700 million and it had they had a $10 billion valuation at its peak in 2013, 2014. It was in the media. She was like one of the women CEO, high tech. She broke the barrier. <laughs> she broke through the glass ceiling. <laughs> and guess what? It was all BS. Oh my God. And people, and when it started coming out, people doubled down. They tripled down. They didn't believe. She had politicians and the top venture capitalists from Sand Hill Row. We do harm when we can't see reality. And the problem is we can't. I know. Even when we try. But if we just learn to maybe think, okay, what's the best case scenario and what's the worst case scenario? And what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? Now, it's very uncomfortable. But again, illuminating that gap between what we want to know and what we need to know, even if it is painful. That is one of the biggest lessons in all this. Are you ready for the sort of fact? I am. Because I did not attend PU. You didn't? But I feel like I am learning a lot and I should get like an honorary, honorary. degree yeah. Yeah, okay. from PU. I can't believe you said this because this has happened. It happened about three weeks ago. Oh, no. I got notified from PU. Unbelievable. 87% have decided to honor Jennifer Felberg with an honorary degree from TPU. Courtesy of, of sort of facts. However, oh no, <laughs> they think the harm that it might cause. I knew it is completely avoidable. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing Curiosity Bitten conversations, subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to ApplyCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.